if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew chapter number 28. We're going to be starting a new series today. It's a pretty exciting time. Um, I'm excited for the next several weeks as we uh, talk about or, or broach a, a, a subject um, in which you can see on the screen is titled, This is Us. When I was uh, in, in, uh, in youth ministry, most of you know this, before I came on staff here to serve as uh, the, the senior pastor at First Baptist, uh, I did youth ministry for 17, 18 years. And so did a lot of stuff with students, always enjoyed uh, my time in youth ministry and so thankful uh, for how the Lord moved and blessed uh, during that time. But I'll never forget the first full-time youth ministry position uh, that I received was in Picayune, Mississippi. Uh, And it was at a church uh, called Union Baptist Church. At that time, I was the associate pastor of students, which was a little confusing, I felt like, as a title. Uh, It made me feel like I was second in line under the youth pastor because I was the associate pastor of students. Uh, But what it actually meant was I was both the youth pastor and the associate pastor at the church uh, that I was serving. But one of the things that I enjoyed the most about my years in youth ministry was all the different events and activities and different things that the students were involved in that I got to be a part of over the years. Now, while I was in Picayune, most of the students went to a school by the name of Pearl River Central, PRC. That's where most of our uh, county students went to, where most of the students who were at our church at Union went to. They were the PRC Blue Devils. Now, I'm not as concerned with all the memories that come to my mind at, uh, uh, with my time at, at PRC or at Union, but one thing in particular that I will never, ever forget in my years there was a cheer that they always did when you were at an event for the PRC Blue Devils. There was a guy, he was louder than everybody else, he was kind of like me, and what he would do is when we were in the stands, especially at a football game, right, we'd be in the stands and we'd be winning, we'd be losing, it really didn't matter. But this one particular guy would yell above everything else that was happening at the stadium. And here's what he would yell. He would yell this phrase, who are we? That's what he would yell. As loud as he could, he would just, you would hear it. it nothing would be happening or, or crazy things would be happening, but you would still hear this one guy yell out the phrase, who are we? And then everybody in the stands, especially if you are a PRC uh, person, you knew instantly what happened after that. He would yell, who are we? And we would yell, P-R-C. And then he'd do it again. Who are we? And we would yell back, P-R-C. And as a matter of fact, over my years there, and even since then, if I speak at a youth event or I'm somewhere around the coast in Mississippi, I will hear people mention to me when they know where I've served and, 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 and the schools that I've been a part of, they will mention to me, other fan bases, how much they hated that cheer. It was one of the most annoying things to them, win or lose, who are we, PRC, who are we, PRC, and every fan base talked about how annoying it was to hear that cheer. For me, this is pretty much like any cowbell that I hear today, right? <laughs> so you say, Danny, what, what are you talking about? Well, here's what I thought. I thought we would try this out a little bit this morning, but we would change it up a little bit. Here's what I'll do. I'll say, who are we? And you say, FBC. See how that works? Who are? Now, 
I'm really not going to do it. All right, for those of you who the fan inside of you is coming out like, what? yeah, let's do it, right? Who are we? FB, you know, whatever. I'm just kidding. But I won't make us do the cheer like a bunch of obnoxious fans this morning. I won't talk about who those obnoxious fans are. But that cheer is exactly what I want our church to think about over the next several weeks. I want us to think about this question. Who are we? What does it mean to be the church? What does First Baptist or why does First Baptist exist? What should we be doing as a church? Who are we? Now you may not know this, but this past year, several leaders in our church spent a lot of hours around tables talking through who God wants FBCS to be, what it means to be the church, and what it means for us moving forward into the future. And we wrestled with some really difficult questions while processing them all through the lens of Scripture. And all of this has been to discover who we are and God want, what God wants us to do. Now, maybe you're thinking, Danny, why is this so important? We've done church the same way forever. We know why we're here. We do the same things that we've always done. Why is this question so important? Well, let me give you a few reasons why this question is so important to us. As a matter of fact, according to LifeWay research done in 2022, I'm going to give you a couple of statistics that are new for us today. 3,000 new churches started while 4,500 churches died last year. You say, Danny, why you tell us that number? Because we're losing 1,500 churches a year. Now, just to put this in better perspective, from 1990 to 2000, the combined membership of all Protestant denominations in the U.S. declined by almost 5 million members. This is about 9.5%, while the U.S. population increased by 24 million. This is roughly 11%. You say, Danny, why are you telling us these numbers? We have less churches and more people. That's not a good comparison. Let me go on. Less than 30% of unchurched Americans say a Christian has shared the gospel with them. Less than 30%. Only 37% of Americans have confidence in the church, and only 39% of Americans believe that pastors are honest people. Churchgoers are twice as likely as the average American to be 65 or older, and the average leaders in church life are 57. You say, Danny, what's wrong with those numbers? Nothing, really. If you're in any of those, that's great. But here's what it does mean. It means the church is not doing a good job of reaching younger generations. Let me give you another one. The average church size is 65. Now, you say, Danny, is it wrong to be 65? Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with smaller churches. But with the amount of people in our communities, our churches should be reaching more than 65. In 2000, the population of the U.S. was approximately 282 million. In 2023, the population of the U.S. is approximately 334 million over 52 million more people, but churches keep getting smaller. Average attendance used to be 137 versus 65 today. And you say, Danny, why are you telling us all these numbers? Is this happening because churches have lost their passion or their love for Jesus? I don't think so. 
Danny, is this happening because churches are no longer paying staff members? That's not the case in our situation. Danny, is this happening because less people are, are on the planet? Well, we know that's not the case. There are more and more people on the planet. Danny, is this happening because God doesn't work like he used to? Absolutely not. So you say, Danny, why is this happening? Why is this important? Well, I think it's happening because God's people, yes, that's us in this room, have forgotten the purpose for why the church exists. This is why this series is so important. Who are we? Why are we here? What should we be doing? Who are we? Well, let me give you some perspective on what Jesus said about the church. Mark 16, 15, listen to this. This is Jesus talking. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Or how about this from Luke 24? Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, this is Jesus again, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Matter of fact, Jesus would put it like this in John chapter 20. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Or how about some of Jesus' final words in Acts 1.8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Or maybe more famously, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse number 16. Let's process through this a little bit together as we think about this question, who are we? Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now let me give you a little context for those of you who maybe don't remember. Jesus at this point has died on the cross. He's been buried in a tomb. It's been several days by this point when the disciples, including more than just the 11, the, the original 12 that were selected, more than that, at this point, all the disciples have come to the tomb and found that Jesus's body was no longer there. A group larger than just the original. Now, Matthew's account, just a little bit before this, describes this moment in Matthew 28, 5 through 10. I want to read it to you. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now listen, all that Jesus had said, all that he had talked about with his death and his resurrection, all that he foretold has happened. And their response to Jesus in this moment was to worship 
him. Now listen, of course this is what they did. This is what all of us do when we encounter Jesus. What other response do we have than to worship him? And he gives them specific instructions to find the other disciples, my brothers, and go to Galilee. That's where we find them in Matthew 28, verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And then it says, verse 17, let's keep going. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Now, who's him? Jesus. Yeah, that's always a good answer, remember? When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, most of their response to Jesus was just as the women before them did when they came to the tomb and met the angels and realized Jesus was no longer there. They worshiped him. But even with Jesus standing there in the flesh or in some physical form, there were those who still doubted. By the way, I'm always blown away by that moment. Like there's one thing to doubt when you don't see it, but when you're looking at a risen, resurrected Jesus and yet you still doubt that it's him, my mind is blown in that moment. But then I have to remind myself that I've had plenty of times that Jesus has come through for me and I still doubt him at the very next turn. Anybody else like that? Am I alone in this room? Man, he came through that time. Why do I not think he will this time? Right? He did what he said he was going to do that time. Why do I not think he's going to do what he said he was going to do the next time? Right? They doubted. But what Jesus says to them next is the foundation of why the church exists. By the way, it's the foundation of why we exist here in South Hill of Mississippi. Here's what he says. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I want to break down the Great Commission for just a little bit. I want to show you this first part that has to do with his people. That's the first moment where Jesus is issuing his command to them, known as the Great Commission. We find first his people. This is why Matthew wrote, and Jesus came and said to them. Now I want you to picture this. Jesus is talking to all of his disciples who are present with him before he left the earth. Now, many people think this is just the 11 disciples, but I really believe that it was the 11 who had to travel from Jerusalem to Galilee, but when they got there, there were several other disciples of Jesus. You say, Danny, why do you think this? Because over the course of 40 days between his resurrection and ascension, Jesus appeared to his disciples about 10 times. Now, sometimes this was to individual disciples. Other times it was to groups of disciples. In fact, the apostle Paul will later describe some of Jesus's days before he left the earth like this. This is from 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Then he appeared, talking about Jesus, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now you say, Danny, why are you talking about all the different people that Jesus appeared to when he's given this instruction, this, this command, when he's given his final commission? Why? I think it's significant to know that Jesus met with many more disciples than just the 11 because these words in Matthew 28 are to all followers of Christ, not just the original 11. You know what that means? 
Every person in this room who claims to be a follower of Jesus, these statements that he's about to make to his church, that's his followers, that's his people, that's his disciples, that's you, that's me, everything he's about to say applies to us. You say, Danny, who are his people? Everyone who follows Jesus is his people. So when Jesus came and said to them, here's what we know he means. He came and said to us. Matter of fact, I'll never forget an old story that I read several years ago. It was about a man who bought a piece of property that had been neglected for years and years. It was rough, it was ugly, it had weeds, it had thorns. Really, it was just a, an ugly old house that was broken and saggy and cracking and leaking on this old uh, piece of property that nobody cared about. It just looked disgusting. An old man bought the property and he worked on it for five long years. And the story goes that under his care, the garden became magnificent. The tiny house became cheery and inviting. In fact, it says that people would come from all around to visit and relax in the garden, to enjoy the sparkling pools, to gaze upon the beautiful flower beds, and to rest for a while in the comfort of the little house. And the story goes that one day, a man's friend came who hadn't been there in a long time. He'd seen that property before. He saw it before his friend bought it. He remembered how ugly it was, but he came to visit his old buddy and he saw what had happened to the place that he bought. All those weeds, that old ugly house, that horrible piece of property is now magnificent. It's beautiful. It's a garden that people want to come from all around to see. So the man's friend, he walked around, he's visiting. He sees how absolutely perfect the place is, and he says, this is beautiful, absolutely magnificent, simply fantastic. Isn't it marvelous? This is what he says to his friend. Isn't it marvelous to view the handiwork of God? We've seen places like that, right? Man, it's so beautiful. God, this is amazing. The old man, though, is irritated in this moment. He looks over at his friend, and he goes, do you not remember this place? Do you remember what it looked like when God worked it alone? It was horrible, right? You know what he was saying? He was saying, look at all the work that I put in with God. This place is here because we've worked together to see this happen. Now you say it, Danny, are you saying that God needs us to make something beautiful? Absolutely not. We know that God can work it alone, but can I tell you something that's much more beautiful than that? He chooses to work through us. This is why we find countless people throughout scripture being used by God for his purposes. By the way, they don't call it the great co-mission for nothing, right? It's to be a joined effort between us and God, him empowering his people to do his work. However, in churches today, we have failed to grasp this concept. We've bought into the idea that making disciples is only for hired staff or for super Christians, but Jesus gave this command to all of his followers, his people. Listen, James Stewart wrote this, this fascinating quote. He said, the real problem of Christianity is not atheism or skepticism, but the non-witnessing, non-productive Christian trying to smuggle his own soul into heaven all alone. Whew. God, I pray that's not a picture of me. Instead, I pray 
that I am, as you would say, his people. Can I show you the next part, though, about the Great Commission? Not only does Jesus show us his people, but he shows us his power. This is why he says, when he came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, don't miss this. This is so, so important. Jesus is the one who is supreme over all. He has all authority. He is Lord. He is in charge, and we all exist for his glory. Listen, there is no doubt in my mind that everything exists for the glory of God, and you better believe it, friends. That certainly includes you, and it includes me. You know how Isaiah put it? Listen to what he wrote. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Listen, the psalmist would tell us how we are to declare his glory when he wrote, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all people. Matter of fact, Paul would say that everything we do should point to Jesus. He said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He would go on to say that we should reflect his glory. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As a matter of fact, the very fact that you've been saved by Jesus is to the glory of God. Listen to this from Ephesians. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Or how about how Peter put it? Listen to this. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen to me, friends. The question is not about his glory. We know everything exists to bring glory to God. Here's the question that we've got to think about. How does the church exist to bring him glory. We know everything does. What about us? How do we, as the church, exist to bring him glory? That is the question. Also, don't miss what he says. Jesus has all authority to do what he is telling them to do. Now, just think about that for a second. I feel like we hear about the power of God, the power of Jesus. We hear about his authority so much over the years that we forget what that actually looks like. God gives Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth to accomplish his will. You say, Danny, what does that mean? It means that whatever Jesus says and whatever Jesus does is going to be accomplished. And not only is it going to be accomplished, it reveals the way in which he decided to do it will be successful. Now let that settle in for a moment. His power goes beyond anything that we can imagine. He literally can turn the world upside down. Why? He created it. It rests in the palm of his hands. He has the power. Now don't miss the first part. He has all the power and guess what? He chooses you as his people to partner with him in his power. Oh, I just love thinking about how Jesus chooses to accomplish God's purposes through you and through me. Probably the best way it's communicated is back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power, right? You will. 
When what? The Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the partnership, right? His people, his power. What will happen? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He has all power to accomplish his task and he decides to do it through his disciples, through you and me. Right? Let that settle in for a moment. All right, Danny, got it. The Great Commission, his people, his power. I'm with you. Can I show you a third thing, though? Not just his people, not just his power. Don't miss this. His plan, right? He doesn't leave us in the dark. We are his people, given his power to accomplish his plan. You say, Danny, what is it? Well, look back. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Look at what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. His plan. What is it? Make disciples of all nations. Here is where we finally find the command in the Great Commission. Make disciples. Don't miss this, friends. Jesus doesn't tell us to make church members. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We love church members, but that's not what he commissions us to do. He doesn't commission us to make converts, although we want to. We want to see people saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, but that's not what he commissions us to do. Jesus isn't looking for decisions. He's looking for disciples. As a matter of fact, one author put it like this. Disciples are the only thing Jesus cares about, and it's the only number Jesus is counting. Not our attendance, not our budget, not our buildings. He wants to know if we are making disciples. And listen, it's not just that he wants to know if we are. It is literally what he modeled for us to do. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Jesus poured his life into a few disciples and taught them to make other disciples. 17 times we find Jesus with the masses. That's pretty awesome. But 46 times we see him with his disciples. Within two years of Pentecost, they had filled Jerusalem with Jesus's teachings. Within four and a half years, they had planted multiplying churches and equipped multiplying disciples. Within 18 years, it was said of them that they turned the world upside down. And after 28 years, it was said that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. This was his plan. What do you mean? His people by his power accomplishing his plan. Have we missed it? Have we forgotten that? I read something this week. This is a side note. I need to keep going, but I, I want to I hover here for a moment. I read something this week in our Bible reading in Luke. I think it's back in Luke chapter 13, but to be honest with you, I'd have to go find it. I don't remember. Don't quote me on that. But in the reading, Jesus makes a statement to those who are following him. You know what he says? He uses a phrase. He says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to count the cost. You remember this for those who have been reading with us in the Gospel of Luke? He says, somebody doesn't build a building without knowing what it's going to take. Somebody doesn't go to war without counting the cost. You know what he says? Don't follow me unless you count the cost. You say, Danny, what's the cost? Here's the cost. His people in his power following his plan. Is that what you want? If not, have you counted the cost. Maybe Satan's greatest accomplishment 
was making sure that disciples of Jesus don't make more disciples. Listen, of all the things that our church stands for and all churches stand for, are we known for making disciples? Can I tell you something, friends? Listen, there's nothing wrong with being known for mission work or, or a friendly atmosphere or a great uh, youth or children's program or the best Sunday services or anything else that you could possibly think of. However, the only thing that Jesus commissions the church to do is make disciples. Are we? Steve Morrell wrote, Jesus told his followers that he would build his church. Then one of the last things he told them to do was make disciples. It's that simple. We make disciples and he builds the church. We do not build the church. He does not make disciples. He hasn't called his disciples to build his church. He will build his church. The only commission that he gives his disciples is to make disciples. Mike Breen wrote this, if you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. Now listen, I want a little side note here. Don't lose sight of this phrase. Of all nations. Friends, God isn't just is not just desiring for us to reach Saltilla. He desires to reach the world. How are we making disciples here and to the ends of the earth? Do you know that Jesus did not come to the U.S.? The only reason the U.S. knows about Jesus is because somebody brought him here. Where are we taking him? Robert Coleman wrote these words that have stunned me for years. He said, my conviction is that if making disciples of all nations is not the heartbeat of our life, something is wrong. Either with our understanding of Christ's church or our willingness to walk in his ways. Now let that settle in for a moment. Either you don't realize that the mission of Jesus is to make disciples or you know it is and you still ignore the commission. Let that resonate. You say, ouch, Danny, I know, that's me. This isn't Jesus's, I mean, this isn't my plan, it's Jesus's plan, right? There's really one truth that needs to be wrestled with. Either churches completely misunderstand what Jesus was teaching, or we're unwilling to do what he said. Now, let me just, let me break this down kind of quickly, and, and, and we'll, we'll, start, we'll start wrapping up. His plan, right, that's what, we're after. His plan happens through going. This is why he said the words, go therefore. Now you've probably heard this, the phrase go therefore isn't a command. It simply means as you are going, or simply put, as you go about a typical day. Why would Jesus command us to do something that each of us will inevitably do on our own? The issue isn't that the church would get out into the community. The church is gonna be out into the community because you will be. The issue is that while the church is out in the community, is it leading people to Jesus? You know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of this past Wednesday as we talked about some readings from Luke chapter 10. And in there we find a story, very familiar, called the Good Samaritan. And one of the things that really stuck out from that story to me was not that the Good Samaritan went out of his way, not that he was searching to help somebody, not that he was on some special trip with some special assignment. No, no, the Bible tells us that as he 
journeyed, he noticed somebody who was in need. You know what that means? He's probably going down the same road he went down every day. He's probably seeing some of the same faces he saw every day. He's encountering the same exact environment that he sees every day. But on this particular day, there was a need that shows up, and he jumped in to meet it. Hey, friends, how often as you're going through life is God putting people in your path so that you could be the one? So that you could be the one who goes to them and tells them about Jesus. His plan happens through going. You know how else his plan happens? It happens through giving. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, look back at Matthew 28, 19. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Once we've engaged our communities with the gospel, we pray that they will give, right? There's the giving. They will give their lives to Jesus. They must first die to themselves so that Jesus can live through them. Friends, that is what baptism is. It's a picture of the old life dying so that Jesus can now live through us. Just picture those waters in the baptistry as a liquid tomb. You are who you are before you went down, but then your old life was buried. It was killed. You died to yourself so that when you came up out of the water, it was as if a new man came out of the grave. You say, Danny, what do you mean? You've died and made Jesus Lord, so now you live under his authority. Baptism is an important external expression of an internal identity as a Christian, an outward expression of an inward change. His plan happens through going. His plan happens through giving. His plan happens through growing. This is why he writes in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus wanted his disciples to teach others to obey all that he taught them. He said, Danny, what do you mean? Well, they were to take those three or so years of walking with Jesus and they were to invest it back into others. When we think about disciple making, we tend to only think about seeing someone get saved. By the way, it's a beautiful moment. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you are not his people. You have never experienced baptism, not just the water, but you dying so that Jesus can live. Can I tell you something? That's what the Great Commission is all about. He wants to take dead people and bring them back to life. It's a beautiful thing. We want to see people come to know Jesus. But here's what happens. We oftentimes fail to realize that Jesus wanted more than just a decision. The disciple-making process was not complete until the disciple could make more disciples. There's plenty of growth still to happen after someone gives their life to Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's not the end. That's the beginning. The journey starts when we give our life to Jesus. It doesn't end when we give our life to Jesus. Everything that Jesus taught them and commanded them was to be imparted to the next generation of Christ followers. There wasn't a, a curriculum to complete or a, or a church activity that they had to attend. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is a lifestyle of becoming more like him. Hey friends, how is our church doing this? How are you personally doing this? How are you going? Are you telling people how to give their lives to Jesus? Are you helping them grow to the point of going to? Jesus defined this as his plan for reaching the nations. How are you living out that plan? How are you following what he has commanded us to do? Listen, he breaks down the Great Commission. His people, his power, his plan. Let me show you the last one. You ready? His promise. This is at the end of Matthew 28, verse 20. 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, right? And here it is. Don't miss it. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word translated behold is an interesting word in the Bible. In the Greek, it's also a command. I don't know if you know this, but there are two commands in the Great Commission. One of them is to make disciples. The other one is behold. <laughs> it's an interesting command. Some translations translate the word as lo. You may have a Bible in here that says that. Lo, I am with you always. I read the other day that the lo always follows the go. In other words, this is a promise from Jesus that hinges on his words before this. You can't validly claim the promise unless you follow the plan. We will never have New Testament power until we follow New Testament patterns. Jesus is with us to the end of the age. Yet, is he saying that he is with us as we make disciples? And when we don't, is he still going to be with us? This is a present blessing experienced in the process of making disciples. You say, Danny, that's a whole lot of information. I agree. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote talking about the Great Commission. He wrote these words. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermon, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It's even doubtful whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. Now you say, Danny, I've heard the Great Commission a million times. Matter of fact, you may be in here in this room and you say, Danny, I've heard you preach the Great Commission a million times. Why do you keep saying the same thing? Why do we keep hearing the same message? Well, here's why. I hope this is our goal. I hope that as a church, we embrace the command to go and make disciples. When people think about who we are as a church, if, if that cheer ever comes back to your mind, who are we? Oh, gosh. Man, we forgot our church cheer already, right? If that cheer ever comes back to your mind, I pray they know us as the church that makes disciples. As a matter of fact, our mission statement as a church is very simple, and it comes directly from Jesus' command in these verses. I want you to see it. Here it is. First Baptist Church Saltilla exists to glorify God by making disciples in Saltilla and throughout the world. That is our goal. That is our mission. That is what we want. Every single thing that happens in this building and outside this building and throughout our members' lives, we want it to be this. We are his people, saved by Jesus alone. Can you say that this morning? Are you a disciple of Jesus? We want to be his people in his power. We can't accomplish the mission of glorifying God and making disciples without his power. We want to be his people in his power by his plan. He told us to go and make disciples by baptizing and teaching. We all, we all need to change the world. Are we following the plan? Are we going, making, baptizing, teaching? We are his people in his power by his plan through his promise. He will be with us. He will go before us. He will never leave us. We have Jesus. What more do we need? We are his people in his power 
by his plan, through his promise, accomplishing this commission. Is that us? When people think, who are we? Do we think the church that's glorifying God by making disciples right here in our community and throughout the world? Here's what I know. If you're here this morning, there are probably one of three things, if not more, that need to happen. You might be here this morning, and what you need to do is you need to surrender. You say, Danny, I'm not his people. I don't know how to make disciples because I'm not even one of those. Hey, can I tell you something, friend? Here's what you need to do. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. That's where it begins. You might be here in this morning and say, Danny, I've surrendered. Let me ask you this. Have you submitted all that you have to him? Maybe that's your step. Maybe you need to submit to Jesus every part of your life. He's showing you some things. You're hearing the Great Commission. You're realizing that your life does not look exactly like that, and you know some things need to change. You love him. You want him to change the world. You want him to use you, but you haven't been living that way. Well, Frank, can I tell you something? You might not need to surrender your life, but you might need to submit some things that you've been holding back for yourself or can I give you a third one you might be here and you need to serve him you need to find whatever way that looks like for you to be a part of this great commission to serve him and your abilities and your time with your resources to make disciples here and throughout the world we exist for his glory there is no doubt the question is are you bringing glory to his name by fulfilling what he's called you to do his people in his power by his plan, through his promise. This is who we are. You say, Danny, who are we? We exist to glorify God by making disciples in Saltillo and throughout the world. Can I invite you to something, friends? Wouldn't it be awesome if that's what we strive for every day? Hey, wouldn't it be awesome if that's what we were seeking as we went about our day? Listen, you might be here this morning. You say, Danny, I want that. Hey, me too. Hey, friends, what if we do something? Next five weeks after this, guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna start rolling out what it looks like for us as a church to make disciples. We're gonna talk about our strategy for how we're going to impact this community and the world. You're gonna start seeing a few subtle changes. You're gonna start getting invited into doing more things. You are going to get pushed and challenged to be a disciple who makes disciples. Can I just ask you for a favor this morning? How about you go ahead and jump on board? How about instead of being convinced that you need to do this. How about you hear the words of Jesus and right now this morning, you jump on board and you say, Danny, I want to live out the Great Commission. I want to be a part of a movement that changes the world. I want to be a disciple who makes disciples. Friends, what would happen if we agreed together to accomplish this mission for Jesus? Can I tell you what would happen? The world would be turned upside down. Who are we? For the next, I appreciate that. <laughs> you learned. For the next few weeks, we're going to explore that deeper and start partnering together to change the world. Listen, I don't know how you need to respond. I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus or if you even have one, but here's what I can tell you. The word's been preached and Jesus demands a response from us. So listen, I'm gonna be right back there in that lobby. Others will be back there in that lobby. You need to talk with somebody. You need to know how to give your life to Jesus. You just need prayer. You just need to let something off your chest. You wanna come shake my hand and say, Danny, I'm with you. I don't know what it looks like, but let's do it. Whatever you need, you respond to Jesus today. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, you're awesome. God, thank you.